0: <laughs> We're going to look at Luke uh, chapter 9. We're going to tie these three stories together, Heather, hopefully, and, uh, and present you with some ways of, of thinking about and perhaps discussing what um, is going on in the Gospel of Luke related to uh, the table and all the tables of our lives all the places we eat together. Hear God's word. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Now Herod, the ruler, heard about all that had taken place, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the ancient prophets had arisen. Maybe the prophet of the Old Testament is considered to be Moses. Herod said, John, uh, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he tried to see him. On their return, the apostles uh, told Jesus all that they had done. He took them with him, And withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions. For we are here in a deserted place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food with all, for all these people. For there were about 5,000, just 5,000 men, along with women and children. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. You have to remember that the scene, the this, this scene looks a little bit like Moses in the Old Testament telling the people to sit down in groups. And so there's a, there's a bringing back in from the past, remembering from the past, and bringing it into the present in the story that the, is being recounted here by Luke he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were filled. And what was left over was gathered up, 12 baskets of broken loaves of pieces. Once, when Jesus was praying alone, with the disciples near him, he asked them, who do, you, who do the crowd say that I am? They answered John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others, that one of the, one of the ancient prophets has arisen. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And, G- and Peter responds, The Messiah of God. Pray with me. help us to expand our understanding and our obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I subscribe, as several of you do, to, um, to a, a weekly, a daily devotional that comes from Richard Rohr. And um, Uh, see it, and this week uh, it struck me uh, because the name of the week, the theme, was Solidarity. And uh, we have a partner with Solidarity in in the neighborhood, and so I was intrigued by it, and I read through it, and this was his opening uh, line. The point of the Christian life is to stand in radical solidarity with everyone and everything else. I just found that to be a remarkable statement that the point of the Christian life is to stand in radical solidarity with everyone and everything else. This is the full, final, and intended effect of the incarnation, symbolized by the cross, which is God's great act of solidarity instead of judgment. Wow. Everything is tied together. Nothing stands on its own apart from God. That's what our texts are going to teach us this morning. I guess my alternate sermon title for this morning would be There's No Such Thing as Mere Bread. Now I have to help those who are, some of you are studying mere Christianity with C.S. Lewis. His use of the word mere, Means um, pure or simple or not simplistic, but kind of drilling down to the point of. This is the point of Christianity. Mere used here means just or kind of like barely. And so, but there's no such thing as mere bread. Food, sustenance, spiritual connectedness, human connectedness all of our meaning is derived not from separate entities, but in everything together. Many of us believe that, and have lived this way, that if we would just get our act together, then we'd be of some use. Or if we would um, settle down and get our finances in order, we could be generous. Um. I laugh because uh, one of the, the commentators on this said that it was talking about somebody doing a, a, an online game and, and said before I play I have to get my bread together and what, by bread it meant money and I laugh at the terms that have been used over the years you know uh, give me you know dough well dough means money you know, and. Uh, or, or bread, you know, I, um, means money. And many of us have thought that if we could just get it together, then we could do the more important things. Once we have our act together, once we have our bread together. But Jesus thinks about life differently than we do. In this chapter, in the fourth chapter of Luke we all know about we've read the temptation of Jesus and we've heard it before and the first temptation that's offered Jesus, it says that Jesus is absolutely famished he was really hungry and he's offered an opportunity by his tempter to change a rock into a loaf of bread and eat and satisfy his hunger And you know Jesus' response. People don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's a reference back to Deuteronomy 8. And it would be worth reading all these things in their context and paying attention. But again, Jesus is really hungry in the desert. The temptation isn't merely to obtain bread, but to obtain it separate from the promise of God. That's the temptation. What Jesus is asked to do is to fulfill his hunger without God's help. When Jesus says, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, what is meant is that we exist by God's promises. So that when, when Jesus says, by every word, we're not just saying vague scripture passages. We're not just talking about, you know, let's find the word of God that addresses this particular concern in my life. These are the promises that God has made. The promises that God made in the wilderness to feed God's people. We live by the life-giving life-sustaining words of the God who spoke the world into being. God made you, me, the world, everything in it. We don't graduate to higher consciousness consciousness once our basic needs are met. It's in the actual bread itself. That God's promises are fulfilled. God is actually all in and around. Let me keep trying to to drill at this. In the beginning, God spoke, and so we were made. The talent to grow things, to plant seeds, the sun, the effort it takes to, to plow, the desire, the hunger, the longing. God is both creator and sustainer of all of it. God made the seeds that we plant. God made the desire, the hunger for food so we would work. Every meal we sit down to at every table is a sacred confluence of God's word with our reality. Remember last week talking about confluence. The you Rio know, Negro River in, in Brazil and the Amazon River, the brown one and the black one, and they come together, and it takes two miles for them to come and finally mix and become one river. God is both creator and sustainer of, of all things, and you can't separate from the provision God gives you from the spiritual reality of God's presence with you. There's no such thing as mere bread. Our need for food teaches us about our need for God, for God's creation, and God's people, and God's provision. Today when you go home, And you have lunch or breakfast or brunch or whatever it is that happens, a snack, it's not merely a meal. It is the confluence of God's word with our reality and need. We have a need to share our table, which is never ours. We have a deep need to share what we've been given because it isn't ours to keep. And in it, God is very present. Our hunger is a representation of our longing for God. And every time your stomach growls, you might just think of that as God trying to get your attention. Our stomachs don't growl enough. So here's a, a tabletop question for you. If you have something to write it down, you can. I'll show these to you at the end of the, of the sermon, but I'll, I'll share them with you now. You're going to sit down with a group of people, um, family, whatever, or yourself, where in our world do you recognize a preference for mere bread? Where do you recognize that people just want regular old bread, even if it's fancy bread? And they don't want to think about God. They don't want to go any further than that. Where in the world do you see that people simply want mere bread? Or, in what ways are you tempted to pursue? Merely bread. Just a transactional thing. Give me something to eat. I'll give you the money. You don't recognize God in the middle of it. You don't recognize the one who made it. You don't recognize the one who grew it. You know, there are some restaurants you go to and they will make sure to remind you that um, the food that's before you uh, has a history and comes from people that did certain things to bring this to you and and such and so forth until you eat it so we don't forget where our sustenance comes from where in our world do you recognize a preference for mere bread or in what ways are you tempted to pursue mere bread? Now that might be a, uh, two questions you have as Christians. What if you're invited some folks over, and you just don't know what they believe about anything. How would you begin thinking about this? You might start by simply asking, what's your favorite kind of food? What do you like to eat? Because in the conversation about food itself, God's in the mix. You've introduced God into it because God is not separate from all that we've been given. It's important to note that when Jesus speaks, needs are met. When we think about the word of God and this idea that that people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that, um, that when God speaks, things happen. And in our text this morning, when Jesus speaks, things happen. You have frustrated fishermen. You have Simon, James, John. You've got people there who have fished all night and they're cleaning their nets. Jesus goes down, interrupts their final bit of the workday, starts teaching a crowd of people from one of their boats. And they put out into deeper water after he's finished speaking. And they have this phenomenal catch. There's lots of things we can think about in that catch. But basically, Jesus says... Put out your net. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So right in the midst of this story with Peter is this remarkable statement of the word of God and from it comes provision. More than enough, more than they could have imagined, more than they can even sell. It's no mistake that that happens in our story after some other conversations that go on. What's happening is that it's unearned, it's unexpected, it's a gift, it's grace in Peter's life, Simon's life at this point. So what's happening? Simon's understanding of the way things work is starting to be taken apart. So Simon is beginning to understand that work is no longer something I do and am rewarded for. I worked all day and I got nothing or all night. And now this person says, put out into deep water and throw my net in, and I get this incredible catch. What in the world's going on? What's happening? What's happening to me? And Simon's world is starting to unravel. Simon's entire relationship to the results of his work is primarily a matter of gift received rather than wages earned even when we labor for bread, or in this case, fish, it still comes from the mouth of the Lord. Think about it. I mean, think about, I, I don't know, think about it. if you work at Pocentia Presbyterian Church and you, you get paid what you get paid. It certainly isn't enough. I mean, it is for me. But I'm thinking of all the rest of the people that work here. And, uh, and think, you know, I look at it and go, you know, they can say I've earned it. They can grumble about it not being enough. They don't. But they could do all kinds of things like that. But what they get has nothing to do really with what they give. It's all a gift. Why? Because my ability to even think Is a gift from God. One of the things I like about Ignatian spirituality is that in the examine, in this prayer that you can do daily, one of the things is just to reflect on the gifts you've been given ability to think, the ability to speak, the ability to taste, to touch, to have muscles that move and are coordinated. Those kinds of things we didn't make, they're a gift. All that you are is a gift. And all that you get is grace. So think of another question for a table talk with others. Can you think of ways to infuse your work with a sense of being a collaboration with God in God's project? of rearranging how we believe things are. Can you imagine your work, if you're retired, what you do with your time off, taking care of grandchildren, I don't know what you do, but but can you think of the work that you do in your life as being a collaboration with God, using what you've been given to further the kingdom in this world? And how does it rearrange your thinking about the way things are? Bear with me. Kroosman and Wolf, the people that wrote this book on food and meals in Luke, say this. Don't get lost in mere bread, bread is more than mere bread. It is an invitation to life with God and God's good creation. Jesus says, I prefer hunger to bread that is mere bread. And in the calling of Simon, Jesus again says, don't get lost in mere work. See, I can provide more of its fruits than you could ever need. Don't believe you can secure it Receive your work and your provision as a gift. Learn the lesson of the manna. Understand that you live not by bread alone and not by work alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. What if we actually named the the gratuity or gratitude of creation and deliberatively built a way of life on it? What if we built a way of life on simply being thankful? I don't know how my life would change. It's not that way at all. But God is intending to dismantle you and me, to take us apart and build us into the people of God we were intended to be. And part of that is to look at not mere bread and not work alone as though these are things that we work on and desire and deserve. But it's a gift. The disciples go out, depending on the hospitality from others, gifts from others. He sends the 70, and they return with stories, but otherwise with little else. They don't have anything left in their purses. They don't have anything left in their bag. They they went off with nothing. They came back with probably a little bit less. And they see the crowds eager for Jesus' words, but they also see a crowd that in a little while is going to be really hungry. And they have a solution. And their solution is simply to send them off. It's not a callous one. It's a practical one. Send them off so they can find some food in the villages nearby. They do it as though the word was separate from their action. As though the word of Jesus, you feed them, was separate from what they will do. I'll always remember a a presentation by Wycliffe Bible translators that is uh, as they grew and as an organization learned more about their ministries and and how people hear the gospel, um, the gospel translation work. They said uh, the presentation went something like this. It showed a wheelbarrow coming from the field, filled with Bibles. And one of the people in the village picks it up and goes, how do you eat a Bible? And it just was so poignant. How can people hear when their stomachs are making so much noise? They're asked to participate in the gift, both receiver and giver, but it doesn't generate from them These disciples are supposed to be both receiver and giver of the gift with Jesus. Partners, in a sense. All gifts from God, but all people are involved in the sharing of it. Whether they know it or not. As we pass our bread on, It's a sign and a foretaste of the kingdom. There's more life than getting our needs met. We also get to meet other people's needs. So a question for the table. In what ways has God invited you to participate in Jesus' work of announcing the abundance of God's gifts to the world. How are you part of that? How have you been asked to be both receiver and giver of God's good gifts When I think of what's happening in these texts, I begin to imagine that my life becomes integrated. And I don't have this fractured sense of who I am, that I'm hungry over here, I'm dissatisfied over there. I feel fulfillment in this space, but over here I feel like an alien. I'm a stranger with these people but this feels like home and home feels like a desert at times and the desert feels sometimes so rewarding. I, I feel all this this distraction and I think what Jesus is saying is simple. There's no such thing as mere bread. It is an example of how everything is tied together in that loaf before us every month when we take communion. Everything gets tied together in it. Every aspect of your life connects to the other part of it. Every aspect of your work is tied to every other part of your life. Every part of your education is tied to every other part of your life. Every part of what you think is just mundane is tied to God and to each other and to yourself. You are a whole person living in a whole world, and God's trying to get us to undo all this fractured sense of who we are and become whole. Learn the lessons, the little ones, along the way. There's no such thing as mere bread. Pray with me. Lord, by those very words we live, let us hunger for bread that is more than just bread. Let us recognize you as the source of every good gift. Let us be united with you in every work that we do and hunger we seek to satisfy. Let us dare to share the good news of your abundant gifts with the world you so love and care for. Amen.